In progress. A very formal welcome to Daily Power Parsha, Friday, December 17, 2021. And it's great to see you all. Okay, Torah portion is Vayechi. This is Friday, so we're going to finish the Torah portion, plus we're going to study the Haftorah. This is the end of Vayechi, but also the end of the entire opening book of the Torah. We are one-fifth in the books, literally. In the books for uh, for this cycle of Torah study, and what a powerful conclusion it is. What we've been studying this week thus far, as you know, is the events surrounding uh, the final moments of Yaakov's life. He prepares for it by asking his son Yosef to take his body and his remains to Israel after he passes away. He blesses his son and grandsons. Uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, he then gathers all of his children, he blesses Yosef and Ephraim and Manasseh, then he gathers all of his children and he gives them a message, I was going to say a blessing, but a message before his passing. We've gone through 11 of the sons. We went all the way through Yosef, through yesterday was Yosef. We have one more son, the baby of the family, Benjamin, Benjamin, and that's how we begin today's conversation. So let's jump in. Reading number six for Vayechi, Genesis chapter 49, verse 27. Jacob, Yaakov's final words to his son Benjamin, his youngest son, before his passing. Benjamin is a wolf. He will pray. Yeah, not that pray, but maybe also that pray. But pray as in, you know, attack, attack the enemy. In the morning, he will devour plunder. And in the evening, he will divide the spoil. So by day... He devours plunder. By night, he divides the spoil. All right. Um, What does this mean that Benjamin is a wolf? He will pray. What does that mean? Rashi points out, amongst other things, very interesting Rashi's here, but I want to, we have a lot to cover today, so I want to kind of do it pretty quickly. So he says that, Rashi says that this is a reference to King Saul, Shaul HaMelech, King Saul, the first Jewish king in history, was from the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin. He was a Benjaminite. And um, he was somebody who attacked the enemy. There were a lot of nations. This is shortly after, at some point after the Jews entered the land of Israel. And of course, there were other nations there. And, and, and there were all the ongoing battles and skirmishes and wars and things with other nations, surrounding nations, neighbors, not neighbors, whatever. So this is referring to King Saul, who did a lot of work in kind of pushing away and vanquishing Various enemies. Let's continue. Yaakov, Jacob, thus finishes um, his words with this verse, 27. He finishes his words to his sons uh, individually. So let's take a look at how the Torah describes this. All these, the aforementioned verses, are the 12 tribes. I'm sorry, all these that we just mentioned, mentioned are the 12 tribes of Israel. I believe this may be the first time that they're referred to as tribes. Are you with me on what I'm saying? Until now, they're sons. Yaakov has 12 sons. Where is the first time that we find them referred to as tribes? It may be, I might be wrong, but I don't recall in our conversations. We, we study every day, right? We study every single word of Torah up until now from the beginning, a few times already. I don't believe that from the beginning of Jacob's life and having children that they're referred to as shifte or shvatim, tribes, until now. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And that indicates they're not just kids. They're not just individual personas. They are fathers of tribes in their own right. And this 
is what their father spoke to them and blessed them. So this is kind of the narrator of Torah telling us, these are your 12 tribes and these are the words of blessing that their father spoke to them. Each man, according to his blessing, he blessed them. Rashi says something phenomenal. It says that all the 12 tribes, their father spoke to all of them and blessed them. And Rashi says, even the first three, Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi, where it doesn't seem like he gave a blessing, he gave additional words of blessing that we don't have in the Torah. Are you with me on what I just said? Ruvain, Yaakov said, you lost it. Shimon and Levi, y'all are hotheads. Where's the blessing? It says all of the tribes were blessed right here. It says all of them were, he, he blessed them. Jacob blessed them. That means that even though what we have recorded in the Torah, for some of them, does not seem like a blessing, he also gave them a blessing. And then it says, each man, according to his blessing, he blessed them. There's a grammatical glitch here. It It should have said, each man, according to his blessing, he blessed him. If the Torah is trying to tell us that, that, that Jacob personalized a blessing for each of his kids, it should have said, each man, according to his blessing, he blessed him. What does it mean he blessed them? Rashi says that each one got all of the blessings. Are you with me? Each one got, each tribe, each son got their own blessing, but they also got each other's blessings, the idea that there's a collective blessing that includes them all and all of each other's blessings. Which speaks to really the, the notion of individuality and community as, as you and I know it in real life. And that is each of us is an individual and has our individual talents, abilities, interests, you know, challenges, etc. Each of us is an individual. At the same time, there's a collective, communal spirit as well. And one does not contradict the other. I can be a, 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 an individual and I can also be a, a, a communal member. It's, it, they're not mutually exclusive. And this is indicated by the blessings. Jacob gives each one their own blessing and then blesses them all together with a collective blessing, each one sharing in the blessings of their brother. Let's continue verse... Yes. That gives, uh, in my mind, insights uh, to what we were discussing, you know, earlier in the week, why the negativity, right? So, as you always say, it's constructive reflection. So, he's... In his mind, I guess he, uh, Jacob knew he was all, everyone all would be blessed, but he also wanted those that could perhaps refine themselves more to have the insights. Good. And so I like what you're saying. The constructive criticism would then, if this were true, would then perhaps apply to everyone. And so the message is that everyone has areas to improve. Everyone has things that they can look at and reflect on and correct. And that's a message, a broad message. So not only are the blessings going both ways, if you will, or all ways, maybe even the first three, there are little corrections also may apply, whether directly or indirectly. Certainly everyone could use right. some correction. Right, 12 tribes, 12 different stones, 12 different personalities. Yeah. Imagine trying to manage all those. Wow, it's a lot of, lot of, lot of managing. <laughs> all right, take a look at the, his final words, his final commands. And he buried, sorry, and he commanded them. He told his children. He said to them. Now, he had already made his son Yosef promise that he would bury him in, in back, back home. But he now t- brings all the kids in on this. He commanded them and said to them, all of his children, I will be brought into my people. In other words, I'm going to pass away. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. You and I know the Ephron the Hittite. He was the guy that... Abraham bought the Machpelah cave from. 
in the cave, oh, here we go, in the cave that is in the field of Machbelo, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, exactly the way the Torah described it weeks ago, which field, the field of which Abraham brought, bought from Ephraim the Hittite for railroad property. I want to be buried, he specifies. Jacob is very clear in his wishes. I want to be buried. I, I will pass away. I will join my ancestors in death, essentially. Bury me with my fathers in the cave, in the field, in the cave that Abraham bought to bury his wife, etc. Oh, he continues. There, in that cave, they buried Abraham and his wife, Sarah. There, they buried Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. And there, I buried, Jacob says, I buried my wife, Leah. Remember, Rachel, his other wife, they buried her, he buried her on the road, on the side of the road in Bethlehem, not in Hebron. So Yaakov is giving clear instructions about what he wants to happen with him, to, to him after his death. The purchase of the field and the cave therein was from the sons of Chet. This is the culmination, the, the conclusion of his words, his final wishes, his will, will and testament to his sons. He gives them encouragement, a little admonition, a little prophecy of the future. He shares, expresses his final wishes, what he wants to happen to him. This idea of a, being part of a continuum. He wants to be laid to rest with all of the patriarchs and matriarchs that have preceded him in death. And with this, he takes his final breath. Let's continue verse 33. And Jacob con concluded commanding his sons. He finished the instructions and he drew his legs up onto the bed and expired and was brought into his people again. That idea of being brought into your people, me, is a euphemism for death. Rashi says something interesting related to what we discussed Wednesday night at the Torah class, Torah studies. Rashi says, the Torah says he expired and was brought in, but no mention is made of death in his regard. It doesn't say that he died. It says that he expired and was brought to his people, but that's all euphemis euphemisms. It doesn't say clearly that he died. Therefore, our rabbis of blessed memory said, our father Jacob did not die. It never says he died. He expired. You know, it's like, have the milk expires. It doesn't mean it, 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 um, it disappears, right? It's still there. So it doesn't say that Yaakov died. It says that he expired and was brought into his people. So the Talmud says, Yaakov vino lomes, Jacob did not die. And the Talmud continues, like I said Wednesday night, like I mentioned, as his sons, as his children are alive, he's alive. It doesn't mean he literally didn't die. Of course, he literally passed away. But what it means is that conceptually, not conceptually, it means that on a legacy level, on what he stood for level, he still, he still, he never died. Because his sons the 12 tribes, 12 sons, continued in his ways and still to this day, we're here studying Torah. We're still his legacy. As we are, literally, and I don't mean this in any hyperbolic sense at all. I mean, literally, as we are here today, December 17th, 2021, studying Torah, reading about Jacob and his life and his passing and the 12 tribes and being inspired by the Torah, we are alive with Jacob's legacy. And that makes him alive as well. Let's continue back inside. Olia, welcome. It's great to have you here. Chapter 50 of Genesis begins right now. Yosef, Joseph fell on his father's face, and he wept over him and kissed him. His father, his beloved father, just passed away. He falls on his face. He 
kisses, he cries over him, he kisses him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, right? Joseph is in charge of Egypt, so he commands the physicians to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. I recall last time we studied this, asking the question, is embalming so kosher? Right? We don't typically embalm in Jewish law. Nonetheless, they were in Egypt. Back then, embalming apparently happened. And 40 days were completed for him. They did 40 days of embalming or whatever it was. For so are the days of embalming completed. And the Egyptians wept over him for 70 days. Listen to this. Not only the family, but even the Egyptians mourned the passing of Jacob, of Yaakov, for 70 days. Two months and 10 days. When the days of his weeping had passed, by the way, the implication here is that 40 days of embalming and then 30 days of mourning. Are you with me on this? They did 40 days of embalming and then another 30 days of continued mourning, and that was a total of 70. Let's continue. When the days of his weeping had passed, Joseph spoke to Pharaoh's household, saying, Joseph now speaks to his boss, Pharaoh. If now I have found favor in your eyes, speak now in Pharaoh's ears, saying, My father adjured me. My father made me promise, saying, Behold, I am going to die in my grave, which I dug for myself. In the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. What does it mean I dug for myself a grave in Canaan? When did he dug? He dug his wife, Leah, a grave. He, bar- he laid his wife to rest, his wife Leah to rest in that cave. And maybe he also got his own ready. I don't know. But he's saying... my. Yosef is telling Pharaoh, through his assistants, whatever, Joseph is telling Pharaoh, my dad made me promise, and the promise was, Jacob, my father said to me, I'm going to die in my grave, which I dug for myself, land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. So now, Joseph says to Pharaoh, please let me go up and bury my father and return. He's asking permission to leave Egypt. Are you with me on this? Even though he's viceroy, he's a big macher, if he wants to go on leave, if he wants to go on to, to bury his father, he still asks permission. And Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he adjured you. Yes, go up as he made you promise. So Joseph went up to bury his father, went up to Israel. And all Pharaoh's servants, look at this, all Pharaoh's servants, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt went up with him. It was quite the entourage. It was quite the procession. It wasn't just Joseph and the family. It wasn't just the immediate family. It was a big entourage, a big procession. There's a lot of a lot of action going down with all this. And Joseph's entire household and his brothers and his father's household, everyone went with this burial procession. Everyone went to accompany their patriarch Jacob on his final journey to be buried, to be laid to rest in Hebron, back, in, back in, uh, in, in, in Israel. Only their young children and their flocks and cattle did they leave in the land of Goshen. The only ones that remained in Egypt were the kids and the animals. By the way, talk about foreshadowing. You ready for this? I'm going to drop a bomb on you right now. Remember, you know, foreshadowing. In, in, liter- in literature, it's a, it's a big technique. You drop clues, breadcrumbs, that the reader only understands later. Late, hundreds of years later, after the Egyptian slavery begins, 
And after Moses is appointed the leader, this, the redeemer of, of the Jewish people, and after multiple plagues have hit already, Pharaoh finally relents and says, all right, all right, all right, I'll let you go. But only the, only the adults will go. And Moses says, no deal. We're going to go with the adults and the kids and the animals. We're all, we're all out of here. Why did Pharaoh suggest that only the adults should go? Because of the precedent that was set right here with Joseph. Are you with me? Joseph is leading, his, is, is leading the father's burial procession. And who goes? The adults. That's it. The adults go. The kids and the cattle stay behind. So later on, 100 years later on, Pharaoh suggests that it should be the same thing. Adults should go worship God and the kids and the cattle stay behind. But this time Moses says no. This time we're out for good. Because when they buried their father, they were coming back. But now the exodus is the exodus. We're out and we ain't coming back. All right, back inside. Okay, and chariots and horsemen also went up with him. And the camp was very numerous. Camp meaning the entourage to bury Yaakov was very numerous. And they came to the threshing floor of the thorn bushes, which is on the other side of the Jordan, and there they conducted a very great and impressive eulogy. And he made for his father, this is probably Yosef, Joseph made for his father a morning of seven days. Shiva, Shiva Syamim, seven day, morning period. The Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, saw the morning at the threshing, saw the morning the grieving at the threshing hold of the thorn bushes, and they said, this is an intense mourning for the Egyptians. They saw a bunch of Egyptians also. So they thought it was an Egyptian funeral. It wasn't. It was, it was a Jewish funeral. Therefore, they named it Avel Mitzrayim. Avel Mitzrayim literally means Egypt mourns. And that is a city located on the other side of the Jordan. I guess until a certain, until a certain time period in history, it was still called Avel Mitzrayim. It was, that's what the Torah says, therefore they named it Abba Mitzrayim. And it might have been there at that time, you know, hundreds of years later, a place called Abba Mitzrayim. Why Egypt mourns? Who, who, who was, why? it's not Egypt, it's, it's Canaan, it's Israel. Why, why is there a city called Egypt mourns? goes back to the burial of Yaakov, when a big entourage of, of Jews and Egyptians came to mourn him. They cried for seven days, and thus it, 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 got, it got named that. And his sons... Jacob's sons did to him just as he had commanded them. They buried him properly in the cave of Machpelah. And his sons carried him to the land of Canaan. They carried him. We, you know, today at a, at a Jewish funeral, you, the, at, at the cemetery, the coffin is taken out of the car and hand-carried to the final resting place, destination. This we learn. We learn tradition from here partially. His sons carried him themselves to the land of Canaan, and they buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which field, the field that Abraham had bought for burial property from Ephraim the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned to Egypt. So they buried him, and then they came back. Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who had gone up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. Now Joseph's brothers saw, now the narrative switches temperatures a bit. Now Joseph's brothers saw that their father had died. That was obvious. And they said, perhaps, they got concerned, perhaps Joseph will hate us and return to us all the evil that we did to him. They were suspicious now and they feared that now with their father gone, 
Joseph would finally take revenge. They thought maybe all these years, Yosef had not taken revenge out of respect for dad. But now that dad has passed, maybe Joseph, hey, he said he didn't, he, he didn't hate us. He said that it was all from God. But maybe that was a lie. Maybe that was just so when dad was around that, that he kept the peace. But now he's going to come after us. So here's what they did. So they commanded messengers to go to Joseph to say the following. Your father Jacob commanded us before his death saying, so shall you say to Joseph, we got a message from dad and we're delivering it to you. Say to Joseph, please forgive now your brother's transgression and their sin. For they did evil to you. Now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. The brothers deliver a message to Joseph saying that dad told us to tell you to forgive us. That never happened. That never happened. Trust me, if Yaakov wanted Joseph, if Jacob wanted Joseph to forgive his brothers and not take revenge, he could have told him directly. The brothers said, dad told us, not you, before he passed away, that we should tell you not to take revenge against us. That's what dad's wishes. I mean, obviously it's dad's wishes, but that wasn't communicated in such words. This is one of the instances in the Torah where we see someone or someone's lying for the sake of peace. They're fabricating a story, but ultimately it's for a good cause to maintain peaceful relationships in the family. And we learn in the Talmud that one is allowed to modify, alter the truth for the sake of peace. They, they didn't say, oh, our father told us to tell you to give us a million dollars, FYI. That would be self-serving. That would be not cool. That would be a lie and that would be the end of it. It would just be wrong. But what did they say here? Our father told us to tell you not to take revenge we should continue to live in peace with each other. All right, that, that we can let slide. If it's for the sake of shalom, for the sake of peace, all right, not so bad, not so bad. And anyway, like I said before, certainly Yaakov would have wanted that anyway. There's a big question amongst the commentaries. Did Yaakov even know that the brothers did it? You, you with me on the question? The brothers tell Yosef, Dad said to forgive us for what we did to you. Did Yaakov even know? Was that ever revealed to him? There's no clear indication in Scripture. If you read the verses, and we've read, literally, we've read all the verses. There's no clear indication that Yaakov was told that the brothers were the ones that did it. For all we know, he might have thought that there was an accident. And Yosef found, ended up you know, in, in Egypt somehow. A horrible accident. He survived, but he was, he was a slave. He was uh, taken as a slave. Who knows? How, how do we know? He was beat up. It's, we're never told clearly in Scripture that they sat down, they were drinking some beer, and Joseph told his dad the story. Never happened. We don't, we don't see that. But did it happen? It's a subject of much discussion in the commentaries. Some say it's obvious that he knew. Some say, no, they kept it from him. Because if he knew that, he might never be able to look at his sons the same way. 
Some say Yosef never told his dad out of respect for his brothers. Imagine Yosef would have told his dad, hey dad, you know how I got here in the first place? Those 10 guys. That could have ripped the family apart. According to some commentaries, he never told them. And the brothers never confessed to their father. Oh, we put you through 22 years of torture by selling Yosef. They couldn't say that. So now when they tell Yosef, FYI, dad told us to tell you to forgive us, that presupposed that dad knew about it in the first place, which is not clear. So Yosef knows that they're lying. But he also knows that they're lying because they suspect that he might take revenge. And that breaks his heart more than anything else. He doesn't mind that they lie. What he minds is that they are now suspicious of him wanting to take revenge to the point that they have to make up a story. Are you with me on what I'm saying? They think that he's now looking to get them and they have to try to walk him off the ledge. And he had no such intention. So what does he do when he hears this? Joseph wept when they spoke to him. They cried. He, sorry, he cried. And part of, that, part of those tears was, you guys still don't get me. After all these years, 22 years plus 17 that they all lived together. 39 years, 39 years since they reunited. 30, almost 40 years, four decades since they reunited after all the drama. And still they don't get him. They think that he's looking for revenge. He's heartbroken that he should be suspected of such a thing. He cries. By the way, this is another instance of Yosef crying. I mentioned this some weeks ago. Yosef never put up a wall on his heart. Back inside. His brothers at this point also went and fell before him. They didn't, they didn't cry, but they, they bowed down before him and they said, Behold, we are your slaves. They still don't get it. They still think that they have to, like, you know, uh, placate him or else he's going to get them. They still, they, thought, they still think that they're, the only reason why they're alive is because their father was protecting them. And now that they're in the hands of Joseph, you know, now they're in big trouble. We're your slaves. Do whatever you want. You know. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. For am I instead of God? It seems like the brothers have evil in their heart. They can't understand that someone else would not. Thank you for articulating kind of what I was, you know, talking around without saying directly. And maybe I didn't have the right words for it. But thank you for, for, for nailing it. They know that they would have taken revenge, perhaps. Right? It's like it's revenge on their mind. So they're projecting that obviously he's going to want to take revenge. And meanwhile, he's in a completely different space. You know what they say, if a, if a cup for Naganif, when somebody steals something, you know, and, and then you look at them, you, someone steals something, and then you look at them and say, hey, where were you? Now, you mean it innocently, but because they know that they did something wrong, suddenly it's like, oh, you're accusing me. It's like, no, I just said, where, where were you? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't even know. What you're... It's like this whole idea when it's a guilty conscience, right? It's like they know they're guilty. They feel bad. They feel like maybe they would take revenge. They have some evil in their heart still or some sort of stuff that they need to deal with. And so they're projecting it. Oh, surely he's going to want to reve take revenge. Surely he's going to want to kill us. Surely he's going to want. He says to them, don't be afraid. It's almost like. How many times do I need to tell you? I, I don't, actually don't have an issue with you. Am I instead of God? In other words, God may have an issue with what you guys did. I don't. I'm not God. You may have to deal with God on this. If you have a, certainly if you have a guilty conscience, you have to deal with you know, yourself and God. You have to make that right. But with me, 
Indeed, he says, he reiterates what he said when he first revealed himself to them 17 years prior. Indeed, you intended evil against me, but God designed it for good in order to bring about what is at present to keep a great populace alive. God orchestrated everything for a blessing, despite your intentions. You meant, you meant my harm, but God had other plans, and, it, and it's good, and it's all good. His point to them is, seriously, stop it. It's, it's, get, it's getting annoying, maybe. I mean, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my own twist on it. Not, he didn't say it's getting annoying, but he's, he, I, I believe that his tears there is because he's heartbroken of them suspecting him, but even worse, that they, after all these years, they still don't understand him. They still don't, they still don't get him. To be misunderstood is one of, the, one of the most painful experiences in life. To not be gotten, especially by your own family, by your own flesh and blood, your own brothers. They didn't get him when he was a kid. They still didn't get him. They still don't, they still don't, they don't get him. They're just they're a different wavelength. And that's painful. All right, Vayechi, seventh reading, reading seven. He continues to tell them, so now do not fear. I love how they, you know, the situation is manipulated to the point that he's now making them feel better, but it is what it is. So now do not fear. I will sustain you and your small children. In other words, I'm going to continue to take care of you guys. And he comforted them and spoke to their hearts. This is where we're at. He's making them feel better. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived, we're fast forwarding now. Get ready for, oh, so one second, time out, time out. Let's, let's do the math here. Let's do the math together. You ready? Joseph was 17 when he went down to Egypt. He spent 22 years there before he was reunited with his family. So he was 39. And then there was another 17 years that they all lived together with their father before their father passed away. So what's 39 plus 20, sorry, 39 plus 17 is... 39, 49, 56. Am I right here on the math? 56? He's 56 years old, is Joseph, when his dad passes away. And they're having this conversation right after the father died, and he's telling them, and they're like, oh no, don't kill us. I'm not going to kill you. Don't be upset. We're your slaves. I'm not upset at you. Okay. So he's 56 years old. We're going to fast forward now. And I want to tell you something. And you've heard me say this in different contexts before, but let me just say this again. Torah does not give us all of the details of all of the stories. Torah is not a history book. If it is a history book, it does a very bad job at it. Torah is not a history book. It's a life manual. It's an instruction book. It's a book on instruction, which means that whatever is, whatever stories, whatever, it, whatever stories are in the Torah are there for one reason only, not to tell us what happened, but to guide our own lives. For whatever reason, Whatever happens in Yosef's life, Joseph's life, from the age of 56 to 110 is not instruction worthy, at least for us. It's not a life, it's not, a, it's, not, it's not an eternal life lesson for all of us for all time in all places. So the Torah speeds through and kind of uh, fast forwards through the rest of his life. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. 56 to 110 is another 54 years. So we're now fast-forwarding. The first 56 years of his life, we know a lot of what happened. The last 54 years of his life, it's in Egypt. I don't know. Guess it was good. Joseph saw children. Oh, we have a little bit. 
Joseph's not children of a third generation born to Ephraim. That's cool. He saw multiple generations. He saw kids, obviously, grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. Also, the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Hold on, let's do this. Sons of Machir, sons of Manasseh. Manasseh was his son. Machir was his grandson. Great-grandson. His great-grandsons were born on his knees. Not literally, but grew up on his lap. Joseph becomes a Zaydi. It's cute. Imagine Joseph. Imagine they're like playing with the signet ring. Oh, Zaydi, what's that? Ah, oh, <laughs> let me tell you a story. When I was a kid, ah, oh, let me take it back a little bit. I don't know why I'm saying it like a pirate, swashbuckling. All right, Joseph said to his brothers, he's 110. He says to his brothers, I am going to die. He senses. God, look at this, this is powerful. God will surely remember you and take you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Wow, what powerful final words. Joseph says, I am going to die. God will remember you and take you out of here. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be around for it. You're also not going to be around for it, really. But keep on. Pass down this message. that This is not a permanent. You're not here for, you're not here for good. You're here for temporary terms, not, not permanent. And Joseph adjured the children of Israel. He made the family promise, saying, God will surely remember you. And when that happens, listen to this, you shall take up my bones out of here. When the redemption happens, when the exodus happens, take me out of here. Until then, you can keep me here, unlike my father Jacob, you can bury me here in Egypt. But when you leave, and you will leave, and I promise you you're going to get out of here, take my remains with you. Take my bones with you. And Joseph died at the age of 110 years. And they embalmed him, and he was placed in the coffin, into the coffin in Egypt. Repeat after me, Chazak. Oh, you guys are all muted. Chazak. Chazak. Venis Chazek. All right, this concludes the book of Genesis, but I want to throw in a little commentary. And of course, chazak, chazak, v'nitz chazak means be strong, be strong, and may we be strengthened. We encourage each other. First of all, we celebrate concluding a book of Torah, and we, we, we gather our strength to get ready to jump in immediately to the next book, and we're, we're excited to continue studying and also to come back to Bereshis next time around. All right, I want to mention this. It's a pretty... Um, foreboding ending to this book of Genesis. And he was, literally the last words are he was placed in the coffin in Egypt? Gewalt! I mean, talk about a non-happy ending. Like, the ending of the book of Genesis is, and Joseph was placed in a coffin in Egypt? Hooray! What's the meaning? The meaning is, number one, Joseph leaves his family with a promise. You will get out of here. Throughout the 210 years of, of slavery in Egypt, and it was 210 years, throughout those 210 years, what kept the Jewish people alive was Joseph's promise. They knew that they would get out. They didn't know when, but they knew that this was not the final destination. It was not the final stop. It's like when you're on a subway in New York City, and you're going to Manhattan, and you stop in Wall Street. You're going to Midtown, you stop in Wall Street, and the train stops. And people get out, 
and the doors stay open. And you're wondering, Nu, what's going on? All right, the doors are open. But you know that the train's going to continue going. You just have to wait a little bit. How long are the doors going to stay open at this stop? Why is that? Why at this stop is it longer? Who knows? Who knows? Another train is going. They have to track so the construction. Who knows what's going on? But you do know that, as, that, I mean, you can assume most of the time, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, if you stay in the train and don't jump ship, to mix metaphors, if you stay in the train, you can eventually get to your destination. Joseph promised the Jewish people that it's going to happen. There's going to be a redemption. There's going to be an exodus. It's going to happen. This is before slavery began. You're going to get out of here. This carried our people through thick and thin, through the most torturous times in, in Egypt, it was Joseph's promise, Hashem will surely remember you and you shall take my bones out of here. I am putting my bones on the line. I'm not telling you to take me out of here now. Take me when you leave. In other words, I'm with you. I'm with you in this. And I promise you we're all going to get out of this together at some point. This is the same promise that we have today. We've been promised by the prophets, by the great... We study these in the Haftarahs on, on occasion. Some weeks we have the Messianic prophecies. We have a promise, an ancient promise, of a better time, of a redemption, of a third temple, of Mashiach, of an end to suffering. We have that promise. And even though this seems like a really long stop in Gullisville, in Exileville, right? Like, what's going on? Which may or may not be Wall Street. It's, wow, it's like, this is a really long stop. What's going on? When are we going to get there? We have the promise of Yosef, the promise of all the Yosefs throughout history. Hashem is going to certainly, surely remember you and redeem you. And when that happens, you'll take me home as well. And so when they place him in a coffin in Egypt, it's not a sad moment. It's a moment of hope. Because unlike his father who said, get me out of this place, Joseph says, I'm staying with you until we all bounce together. This was a, a measure of comfort all those 210 years. So the book begins with creation. Begins with immense, with, un, with infinite potential. God created heaven and earth. God created light. First creation was light. Potential, purpose, beauty. It ends on a dark note. The Jews are in Egypt. Slavery is imminent. Exile and torture is imminent. But even in the darkness, we have that original light, the light of a promise, the light of a future, the light of a destiny, and that keeps us going through the difficult times. All right, that concludes Beratius. Any comments or questions before we move on to the Haftorah, which is also beautiful? Yeah, Joy. Joseph um, stays in Egypt with them like he's always done to take care of them. Care yeah, of them. yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for putting it that way. Yes, beautiful. He's the caretaker. He's the ultimate caretaker. He says, I'll be with you. If you ever need someone to speak to or a, a, a gravesite to pray at, I'm here. I'm local. I'm with you. The Rebbe said about, the Rebbe said about his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, whose name was Yosef. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson. He said that his father-in-law was buried in Queens, in New York. Not in Israel, like many, like many tzaddikim are. Not in Israel. Because he wanted to stay with his flock, so to speak. He wanted to stay with his community. Brooklyn, Queens, I mean, it's close. Whatever. It's not too far. It's a 25-minute drive, depending on traffic. Maybe a little bit more, 35 minutes. But it's, it's, it's local. Um, yeah, Donna. So all the other brothers are still alive? That's what it sounds like. 
Even though he was the second to youngest, it sounds like he passed away. He might have passed away at a younger age. Well, it says, it says he said to his brothers. Does it mean all of his brothers or whoever was still remaining? I don't know. I don't have a, I don't have a good, I don't have a clear timeline. I'm looking at Rashi. There's no Rashi on this. So was it all of his, was he the first one of his generation to die? I, I would doubt that. It says he said to his brothers, whoever was still left, he told his brothers. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely covered somewhere. Okay, now let's move on to the Haftorah. Um, the Haftorah is also about legacy. Because this week's Torah portion is all about legacy. It's about Jacob and his final will and testament to his sons, to his family. Joseph's final will and testament to his family before he died. So in the Haftorah, we read about King David and his final will and testament and his passing the mantle of sovereignty, of rulership, of, of kingship, of the kingdom to his son, King Solomon. Shlomo HaMelech. Here we go. Kings chapter 2. And the days of David grew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Sounds familiar, right? We just read this similar idea. Hey, different words, but... David says to his son Solomon, I'm going the way of all earth. In other words, everyone who's born has died. You shall be strong. Chazak. Oh, chazak. Our, our word of this week, Shabbat chazak. Chazakta, be strong. Therefore, uh, you shall be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Be a man, he says. Vahayisa le'ish, be a man. No Rashi. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. So I'm assuming show yourself a man means to be strong. And then be spiritual. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. Follow in the ways of Torah. To keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments. These are the three categories of mitzvot that we've talked about many times. Statutes are the ones that make no sense. I mean, at least to us. Um, commandments are the ones that are uh, commemorative mitzvahs. And judgments are the ones that are, I'm sorry, his commandments are, I think, general mitzvahs. Judgments are the ones that make a lot of sense, even without Torah. And testimonies are the ones that are symbolic of something, like Shabbat is, commemorates the creation and Passover, the Exodus, etc. As it is written in the law of Moses, in other words, you should keep the charge of God with all the mitzvahs as written, as recorded in the law of Moses. That means the five books of Moses, the Torah. And that will allow the following, that you may prosper in all that you do and, what, and wherever you turn. Your success, says David to Solomon, King David to the soon-to-be King Solomon, your success and prosperity will be directly, directly um, a result of your keeping the faith and staying true to God. That the Lord may continue His word which He spoke concerning me. If you do this, then Hashem will continue with His promise, which He said, If your children take heed to their way, to walk before Me in truth with all their heart and all, with all their soul, there shall not fail you, said He, a man on the throne of Israel. God told me, says David to his son, God promised me that if your children follow in your footsteps, if they continue down the path, then there shall not fail you a man on the throne of Israel. In other words, the, 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 the legacy of kings will continue in your family. But it's up to you, he tells his son, essentially. It's up to you. If you continue in this path, 
then you will be king and your son will be king and his son will be king. So keep the faith. Moreover, you also, now, you also know what Yoav, the son of Zeruiah, did to me. Yoav ben Zeruiah, Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. I think this Yoav was a general or somebody that was affiliated with David who then turned rogue. That's my understanding. It's been a little, I'll be honest, it's been a while since I studied the story inside. But certainly from the context, it seems like Yoab did something that he shouldn't have done. Maybe. Maybe. And you shall do according to your wisdom and do not let his hoary head go down to the grave in peace. All right, we're not getting any help with Rashi Toggle. not not doing anything. Let's continue. But show kindness to the children of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at your table. So, that, so For so did they befriend me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. He's giving him final, final guidance. This guy is an enemy. This guy is a friend. Barzillai is a friend. Barzillai is a friend. They befriended me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Absalom was one of David's sons who tried to stage a coup. We had this before. Remember we studied after about this? Where one of David's sons wanted to proclaim himself as king. And Solomon's mother went to David and said, hey, what's going on? I thought you said Solomon was going to be king. Whatever. We, we, we studied this together. Let's continue. Behold, there is with you Shimei, the son of Gera, Shimei and Gera, the Benjamite, the Benjamite of Bahurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Machanaim. And he came down to meet me at the Jordan. I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with a sword. So Shem ben cursed him. He said, I'm not going to kill you now. But now, says David, hold him not guiltless. He cursed me. Shem ben did some bad things. So although I didn't take retribution, but you don't hold him guiltless. For you are a wise man. Someone was wise. And you will surely know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his hoary head down to the grave with blood. Take revenge. Basically, David is telling his son, Solomon, the next king, this guy is an enemy. This guy is a friend. This guy is is another enemy. You with me on this? Final words of David to his sons, to his son. And David slept with his fathers. Don't they have an expression today, slept with the fishes? Yeah? That means death, right? There's a, there's a euphemism. Lie with the fishes. Lie with the fishes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the, yeah, that would make, you know, Sopranos. The mafia, right. The mafia, yeah. So the Torah... Right, some men's shoes. Right. Uh, all right, the Torah, has a, the, the scripture is a different expression. David slept with his fathers. Again, he passed away. And he was buried in Ir David, the city of David. For those of you that joined us in the summer for the archaeology um, presentation from the Jewish Indiana Jones, so we spoke about the city of David. We saw a bird's eye view, the outline of the original city of David, and anyway, 
And the days that David reigned over Israel. How, how, long did David, how long was David king? 40 years. 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. Oh, where the Machpelah cave is. Where the patriarchs and matriarchs were, were buried. And in Jerusalem, he reigned for 33 years. He began his rule. So he ruled for a total of 40 years. Again, 40, a number of significance. 40 year reign. Seven years in Hebron. And 33 years in Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. And Solomon sat upon the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Very short Haftorah, packs a, a powerful punch. It's about legacy, it's about final will and testament, it's about passing the mantle forward. And to me, one of the bigger take, one of the big takeaways is what he tells his son. You could be a strong king, you can be a powerful king, you can be a mighty king, but if you want God's blessing you got to follow in his ways. And God told me that it's only going to work if you stay true to the path. And as long as that happened, it, it, it worked. And when it didn't happen, it fell apart. It's the way it is. All right, let's end on a positive note. Message here about redemption. Yosef tells his family, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you guys. I'm in it for the long haul. You got me to lean on. I'm going to take care of you. If you ever need a prayer or a blessing or someone to talk to, you got me. I'm here with you. When we all get out, take me with you. And this kept the Jewish people going. The promise, the, the, the dream and the promise and the knowledge that there will be better times up ahead kept us going then as it does now. We know that a better future is ahead. That was the whole premise of the course this can happen. The whole premise of the course is this can happen, this will happen. Not only can, anything can happen. This will happen. I should tell JLI that you have changed the name of the course. This can happen. Pfft, can happen. Even this could happen. Nah, this will happen. This is the promise of redemption, Mashiach, that keeps us going and has kept our people going even through the most difficult times in the gas chambers. Jews were singing Ani Mamin, I believe with perfect faith in the coming of Mashiach. Even though he may tarry, even though it may be delayed, I wait for it every single day and anticipate its arrival. This is what was on the words, on the, on the lips of those who were being gassed to death for their being Jewish. And this has held us through thick and thin. Today we live in, in, uh, in, in times of blessing, relative blessing, incredible blessings. Let's not forget the promise. Let's not forget our dream. Let's not forget our destiny. And let's make it happen. All right. Good Shabbos, everyone. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Yes. Joseph is with us too today, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, the promise. The promise is not going anywhere. All right, good Shabbos, everyone. Have a blessed Shabbos, a Shabbos of peace and light and strength, chazak, chizuk, and, of course, the light of redemption. I want to make two announcements. Announcement number one. This Shabbat, we have our special Shabbat learner service from about 1045 to 1145, one hour of discussion, conversation, a deeper dive into the prayers. So join me at Chabad for that this Shabbos, followed by Musaf and Kiddush lunch, 10.45 a.m. Saturday morning. This Monday, we have our second session of Rosh Chodesh Society. The topic is soul food. It's all about food and kosher with a twist, because in addition to the class that Leah will be teaching, we also are going to have a live demo and tasting from a... An, an amazing kosher 
food, amazing kosher food. I don't know if you call her a blogger, whatever, Instagram influencer person. That's a, she, she, uh, she loves preparing quick, healthy, kosher, tasty, delicious, flavorful kosher meals. And she has a, a pretty decent following on, on, on Instagram. She makes great looking food and great tasting food. She's, she will be with us live Monday night. I mean, it's a women's only event. I won't be there, but she will be there live. And Leah will be there um, for, this, for this event. So there's a class plus a cooking demo and a tasting, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So join us. Is she based in Atlanta? She recently moved to Atlanta. She's not originally from Atlanta. She recently moved to Atlanta. And, uh, and here she is with a lot of talent. And uh, we're very excited to have her. Sarah G. All right. So I, tried, I, used to, I tried to find, I couldn't, because there's a, a couple of Sarah G's. Look, I, I put in the email that, I sent, that we sent last and that yesterday, we put the at and her Facebook, her, uh, her Instagram handle. Gotcha. Yeah, so check that out. Not her name, not Sarah G, but her, the at thing is the Instagram, the way to find her on Instagram. Okay. All right, so if you're not yet joining Monday, join Monday to eat well and to learn well and mind, body, and soul. You got to feed it. All right, and don't forget, next weekend is December 25th, Chinese dinner. If you're not yet signed up, we have, I think, only... I mean, we're getting close. We're getting close to selling out. We're for sure going to sell out. I think we're at now only maybe 15 spots left for dinner. Anyway, so join us for dinner and movie. Take care, everyone. Shabbat shalom. Chazak, chazak. Ve'ematz, be strong. And we'll see you guys soon. Catch you on the flip side. Take care.